This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning again, Trinity. Uh, if you joined us a little bit later, I'm Zach Lutz. I'm senior pastor here. Uh, it is good to be with you on Easter Sunday, the day where we celebrate the resurrection. Now, the resurrection of Jesus uh, is one of those events that tends to unsettle us. It's hard to make sense of. It's, it's hard to interpret. And my wife and I were recently uh, watching the movie Coda, and it, and it kind of reminded me of a piece of, uh, piece of this. Uh, if you guys have not seen it, Coda was uh, won the Oscar for Best Picture. Uh, and it, Coda, the word, stands for Child of Deaf Adults. And the movie is about this girl, this, this child of deaf adults, Ruby, who is the only hearing person in her deaf family. Uh, and when their family business starts getting in trouble, Ruby's torn between attending Berklee College of Music or being there to support her parents. You see, Ruby loves to sing, but her parents are deaf. And there's one scene where her, fi her parents finally come to see her sing. So they come to her school performance, uh, and they're sitting in the chairs, and in some sense, the entire movie up to this point has been building to this moment. We haven't heard her sing this song yet as the audience, as the viewer. We're waiting to hear the full song, right? And as she begins singing, the directors actually make the choice to cut the sound. And so that we, identifying with her parents, are left looking around the room, seeing the impact of an event on people around us, but unable to understand it ourselves. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single biggest event in Christian and human history. And I wonder if it's possible for us to be deaf to its significance. If we can see its impact on the people around us and wonder what is going on. I think what we'll see today in our passage is that we need, just like the people in our passage needed, um, someone to interpret these events for us. Uh, they need to make sense of them. So in a later scene uh, in Coda, their, their daughter Ruby is actually signing while she's singing and giving them a piece of an, of an interpretation of what she is singing about so that they can grasp its significance. Our passage today is going to tell us that in order to grasp the significance of the resurrection, we need someone to interpret it for us. So if you would, I would invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, which comes from Psalm, uh, not Psalm, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is 
the word of the Lord to us, to interpret these events that have happened thousands of years ago. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we're looking for interpretation of these events, some way to make sense and grasp hold of the significance of the resurrection. I think today we're going to see that there's three steps involved in doing this. First, we need to be confronted by the resurrection. We need to investigate the resurrection. And third, we have to dedicate our lives to the resurrected one. So first, being confronted by the resurrection. You know, in this movie, Coda, the parents, uh, both being deaf as well as uh, their older child, their son, uh, had made a very comfortable world for themselves without sound. Uh, There are many comical interactions in the early part of the movie about this, but in reality, what they were feeling was a little bit estranged from the hearing world. It made them a little bit uncomfortable and sad to be working in a culture that they couldn't fully understand or be understood. And so they retreated. They didn't want to be confronted by their own limitations. We also don't like to be confronted by our own limitations. And the resurrection is one of those things that tends to confront our own limitations. Because by its very nature, it says that a dead man came to life. And everything about our experience in this world says that's not possible. And the Bible says it is. The Bible would actually claim that it is a limitation of us, that we can't understand uh, that the things that God promised to come true would happen. We are confronted by our own limitations, by the very action of the resurrection. We don't like to be confronted by things that we don't quite understand, and neither did the disciples. Um, neither did the women in the story. It causes us to scoff or be perplexed or maybe even marvel. But the first step in order to grasp the significance of the resurrection is that we need to be confronted by it. Now, who in this passage puts themselves in a position to be confronted by the resurrection? Because I can tell you, it wasn't the male apostles, the male disciples of Jesus. If you'll notice, in these 12 verses that we just read, the first 10 are about women disciples whose hearts were so burdened by the loss of their friend that they got up at at the early light of the morning Their hearts were so burdened at this hour that they went to go take their spices to embalm their friend. Now, they didn't expect the resurrection any more than the male disciples and the apostles because they were just as astonished that his body wasn't there. But they did put themselves in a position to be confronted by it. They went to where they thought Jesus would be. How do we put put ourselves in a position to be confronted by the resurrection? Well, one of the most basic ways is to come to church. You may not be expecting to hear about the resurrection in church, but it is the church's duty week after week to proclaim the resurrected Christ again and again. But I'm afraid that this uh, stops a little short, because it's not just coming to church that somehow is going to confront you to this. You actually have to be the kind of person that can be confronted by the resurrection. Because I got to be honest, I've met a lot of people in my line of work a lot of people who have thoughts about who Jesus is, a lot of people about what the resurrection means, and a lot of these people would be unable to be confronted by the resurrected Christ himself because they're already convinced that they know what it means. They don't have any humility before God himself. They're so convinced of what they grew up with, so convinced of what they know from XYZ thing outside of Scripture, so convinced from their own apologetic, theological, and philosophical backgrounds that 
even though they may be present in a seat on Sunday morning, they would miss the resurrected Christ himself. How do we be the kind of people that can be confronted by the resurrection? Well, the Old Testament talks about the kind of people that can be confronted with the truths of God, and it describes them this way. It says, these people are those that do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. I wonder if we do justice, if we love mercy, and if we walk humbly. If we like justice for ourselves, but are kind of meh about it for other people. If we love mercy from God toward our own sin, but we demand perfection from those around us. And maybe this is the most important for being confronted with the resurrection, whether we arrogantly tell God what we think the resurrection should mean in our own lives. God, if this was true, then X, Y, Z thing would happen in my life. And because it hasn't, you're a liar. It's not humility before God. Do we have a humility before God, his word, an awareness of our own limitations that makes us humble? It's absolutely necessary to be confronted by the resurrection. So the first step in grasping the significance of the resurrection is to be confronted by the resurrection, to be the kind of person that can be confronted by the resurrection. But the second step is investigating the resurrection. Now, uh, in the movie Coda, once Ruby's dad has been confronted um, with this event concerning his daughter that he can't quite make sense of, right? He doesn't just abandon it and just be like, well, I just can't handle this anymore. He pursues her to investigate it more. And in a moving scene, he has her sing the song again. And he puts his hands on her throat to hear the only way that he knows how. Investigating, trying to understand the significant event in the life of his daughter. Having been confronted by the resurrection, do we investigate it? Or are we content to simply say, that's interesting. Or maybe we're offended at the fact that uh, the, the resurrection offends our sensibilities. Um, it claims that uh, we can't know truth. The women were confronted by the resurrection and they didn't understand it, right? What they assumed uh, was that something must have happened with the body. Some, something must have, uh, someone must have stolen the body. They expected to find the dead body right where they left it. They expected to be able to go and apply the spices that were meant for their friend. But when they walked to the tomb, they saw the stone rolled away, the body gone, and they were perplexed. They needed to go investigate. And you know who tells them to go investigate is actually the angel in verses 6 and 7. The angel's like, why do you look for the living among the dead? Do you not remember what he said to you? They needed to investigate their memories for what Jesus had told them was going to happen. He had already said that he was going to rise on the third day, and yet they didn't expect it. They could have um, insisted on finding their own answers in their own way by their own sensibilities and come to the conclusion that someone just stole the body, but instead they investigated what Jesus had told them in the past. And they took the second step towards making sense of the resurrection. Because once they'd investigated, they had to go tell the apostles. Now, we don't need to investigate our memories because we didn't have uh, the same experience of walking with Jesus as these women did. But we do need to investigate Jesus' words nonetheless. We need to recall his words and see what significance it could have in our own lives. Now, I have to say, um, this is unbelievably challenging. And it's exceptionally difficult, partially because of our limited intelligence but mostly because of our unwillingness to reflect upon how God answers our deepest yearnings 
and our deepest longings. Honestly, I'm not very good at self-reflection. Uh, it can take me days or weeks to understand why a particular incident upset me so. I don't know if that's true for you. I'm a slow processor. It takes time to process. My wife is not so, and she gave me permission to share this example. Our daughter, Alora was born two weeks ago, uh, and her name means God is my light, somewhat based on Psalm 27. And when the power went out 24 hours after our return from the hospital, my wife was sitting there in the pain of recovery, still losing what little bit of comfort she did have. And in the darkness, wondering, what does it really mean that God is my light? When we are in pain, we would prefer, like the male disciples, like the apostles, to sulk and lick our wounds, trying to come up with own, our own answers for our deepest yearnings and questions, instead of running to investigate his word. Some of you have faced unimaginable pain. The loss of loved ones, the loss of parents, the loss of children, the loss of dreams, the loss of dignity and of rights. You've been taken advantage of, abused, discarded, ignored, and disrespected. Have you investigated God's word to see what he says about that? To see what the resurrection means for that wound? If you do investigate it, I'm sure that you'll find that he cares quite deeply about it and that he has the words to say to give you light in even the deepest darkness. In order to understand and grasp the significance of the resurrection, we not only have to be confronted by the resurrection, but we also have to investigate its significance in our lives. We have to investigate what God says it should mean in our lives. But there's one more step, and this final step is really the one uh, that separates those who can grasp the understanding of the resurrection and those who cannot, and that is that we must dedicate our life, our life to the resurrected one. What does a life dedicated to the resurrected one look like? Well, I mean, we're Christians in this room, right? And we would say a life dedicated uh, to Christ means believing in him, right? It means belief at minimum. But if you were to read through our passage, there's not a lot of belief language used, the women um, were disciples of Jesus, and they were perplexed, but it didn't say that they believed. Uh, the disciples doubted and scoffed, didn't say that they believed. Peter ran to the tomb and marveled, didn't say that he believed. Nowhere is there a statement of belief. When do these disciples believe? When do they dedicate their life to the resurrected one? Well, it happens about 30 verses later than what's printed in your bulletin, so I'm going to describe it for you. Um, Jesus comes back and appears to them, right? And then as he's ascending into heaven, it says that they fall down and worship. And worship is the defining characteristic of dedication, right? I mean, when a husband and wife are dedicated to one another, uh, they praise one another for, for the good, in one, and they praise, they praise about the good in one another to other people. This worshipy things that overflows, that's the definition of dedication. These disciples fall down and they worship. To dedicate our lives to the resurrected ones means we have to worship him. Now, how do we worship the resurrected one? Of course, there is Sunday morning worship. It might be the most basic and the most essential way that we practice this worship, but it doesn't stop with worship just one day a week. The risen king of the universe isn't satisfied with your couple of hours here this morning. He wants all of you. He wants us to bring our entire lives under subjection of his rule and worship him with every single thing that we do. 
Does your life reflect subjection to the the resurrected and living king? Does your life reflect subjection to your own rule, your own wealth accumulation, your own health goals, getting your kids the best opportunities? Are you making the most of every opportunity and every investment in life except for the investment into dedicated worship of the resurrected king with your whole being? In order to grasp the significance of the resurrection, you not only have to be confronted by it and investigate it, you have to dedicate your life to the resurrected one himself. Because resurrection means that everything that Jesus said is true. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Authority to forgive your sins, authority to heal your wounds, Authority to give you resurrected life in the day that he comes back in full, but to taste little bits of it here and now because he is the king. Even the earth cries out and knows. If Jesus really is resurrected in his body right now, he is worthy of all of our worship. Now, failure to be confronted by the resurrection, to investigate the resurrection, or to dedicate your life in worship to the resurrected one, failure in any of these will necessarily result in some kind of misunderstanding about the resurrection. Hang with me for a second. Um, If you're confronted, but do not investigate, you'll simply tolerate Christianity's existence. It's a curious religion that exists. It's fascinating. There's this thing over there. They say this man rose from the dead. It's cool and all. If you investigate, but do not dedicate, Uh, you'll find a very strong morality. You'll find a good teacher that'll show you what to do. But you'll miss the significance of the resurrected one himself because you have no need to taste that resurrection life here and now. You'll miss that power that he is able to offer because he lives and reigns at this very moment. You'll have missed the point of the resurrection if you just need Jesus as a good example. But I also want you to notice something else about our passage here. None of these disciples got to dedicated worship through confrontation or investigation. No amount of confrontation, no amount of investigation will ever on its own lead you to dedication in faith and belief. Even in our passage, they aren't dedicated in worship until 30 verses after the resurrection. They were confronted with it. They investigated their memories, and they still couldn't have faith, the faith that resulted in a worship, um, a worship of dedication to the resurrected king. What happened in those 30 verses? And we might say, oh, you know what? Jesus showed up to them. They saw the resurrected Lord. How many of you have said, wouldn't it be so great? It would, it would remove all of my doubts if Jesus, if he is resurrected right now, showed up in this very room and gave us this dinner right? Wouldn't that cure all of your doubts? You would say, of course the resurrected king is here, and of course I must believe in him. But you know what? When the disciples saw, when Jesus appeared to these disciples, it didn't cure their disbelief. It says that they were afraid, not that they believed. They were afraid because they actually thought that it was more rational to believe that they were seeing a ghost than the resurrected Lord. I want to say this again, just so we're clear. Even seeing the resurrected Lord himself didn't remove their doubts. No amount of confrontation, no amount of investigation, not even having the resurrected Lord in front of you here and now is able to get you to faith 
So what made them get there? How can we grasp the significance of the resurrection? What else happened in those 30 verses? Well, if you were to read, and I encourage you later to read those next 30 verses, in verse 45, it says that Jesus opened up their minds to understand the scriptures so that they could understand the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Having their minds opened to scriptures is what allowed them to have assurance in things hoped for and conviction in things not seen. And that's what the New Testament says faith is. Having their minds open to scriptures was what gave them the faith to dedicate their lives in worship to the resurrected Lord standing before them. But how do we get this kind of revelation? They had Jesus himself interpreting the scriptures for them. We don't have that right. Jesus tells us how our minds will be opened, and he does so in John 16. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will come to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In order to truly grasp the resurrection, you need the Holy Spirit to open your mind to the Scriptures. You need him to give you the assurance and the conviction about the resurrected Lord such that you can dedicate your entire life to Jesus in worship. Now, there should be a couple things encouraging about this news. First, it means that doubters are welcome here. You ever had doubts about the resurrection? You'd be in a long line of Christians, disciples, and apostles who also doubted. There's plenty of room for doubt in church. What there's not room for is those that are indifferent, lukewarm. Those with split allegiances are rooted out and removed like Judas. Those who could care less one way or the other whether the resurrection really happened. If that's you this morning, the challenge from God's word is to be confronted, investigate, and to ask the Holy Spirit to give you assurance and conviction of the resurrected Lord himself. For those of you with doubts, myself included, as I've experienced doubts, know that your doubts reveal more about uh, what you actually desire than if you were content in your lukewarmness. Like, does that make sense? <laughs> like, um, the fact that you have doubts shows that you care. Um, if you didn't have doubts, you'd just be like, I don't, I don't care, it doesn't matter, Right? But make no mistake, our doubts should drive us to plead with the Holy Spirit to open our minds, to understand the scriptures, so that we might have assurance and conviction. We might have faith that drives us to dedicate our life to the resurrected one. You know, people often speak about Christianity requiring a leap of faith, but I disagree with that language um, as if faith required an abandonment of our rational faculties, as if faith was irrational. Faith is assurance and conviction, not irrationality. And so here's the second thing that we learn about the Holy Spirit being sent to us. Because Jesus said that it was better if he left. It was better 
for them to have the Holy Spirit. Because in Jesus' resurrection and ascension, when all authority was given to him in heaven and on earth, he removed every stumbling block between you and understanding the full significance of the resurrection. Here's the beautiful news about Easter and Christianity. In Jesus' resurrection, he removed all of these barriers, every single barrier between faith. Because of his great love for you, he stands before you, even in this very moment, in resurrected power, by the power of his spirit and through his word, interpreting the significance of the resurrection, declaring that he has defeated death, our oldest enemy, and that we no longer need to live in fear of this old master. Because the resurrection was for you. For you, Jesus Christ came into the world. For you, he lived and showed God's love. For you, he suffered the darkness of Calvary and cried out at the last, it is finished. For you, he triumphed over death and rose in newness of life. For you, he ascended to reign at God's right hand. And all this he did for you before you knew anything of it. And so the word of scripture is fulfilled. We love because God loved us first. The significance of the resurrection when we are confronted by it, when we investigate it, when we dedicate ourselves to the resurrected one becomes this beautiful message that we need to hear week in and week out, hour by hour, every minute of every day. And it's that we dedicate our lives to the one who has already dedicated his life to us. Presents us with actual, real reconciliation and the empty tomb stands as a declaration throughout all of human history that death is defeated. And one day every tear will be wiped away. And every wrong will be made right. He is the resurrected king. Will we hear him this morning? Now the resurrected Lord stands before us by the power of his spirit and his word, but he also does so in the sacraments. Um, there are two sacraments um, that we observe here at Trinity. There's a sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper here. Uh, and even in this sacrament, we are confronted by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And in some sense, his resurrected body and his blood, because he is not dead forever. His blood was shed for us, but it was resurrected into new life. We are to investigate its meaning. This sacrament was instituted by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread and having blessed it, he broke it. He turned and he gave it to his disciples as I am ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and after he had blessed it, he had given thanks and he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. If you've been confronted by the resurrection of Jesus, if you've investigated it, if you have dedicated your life to him and been united to him in baptism, then this table is for you. This declaration of his body and his blood before you is for you to taste on your lips the resurrected Lord for you. If this is not true for you, I'd ask you to refrain from this table and not be hypocritical in your actions and declare something with your outward actions that is not an inward reality. 
to live integrity with your beliefs and continue to explore, continue to be confronted, continue to investigate until you know the Lord himself. Um, in a moment, I will pray, and then we're going to come down the center aisle, and there's a serving station on my right and my left. There's gluten-free uh, bread options available. Just notify your server uh, when you get up there if you require that. There is red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Holy Spirit, our helper sent to us by Jesus, we cry to you that in this action, just as in your word, we might be given assurance and conviction, faith, to see the resurrected Lord in his glory. That we might be assured even in our eating and drinking, that we might be reminded of the great sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, and also reminded of his great love for us. That he would sacrifice himself for us. Amen.